This podcast brought to you by Hope 103.2. This podcast brought to you by Hope 103.2. The Hope Book Club with Katrina Rowe and Natasha Moore. Because life's just better with a book. Welcome to the Hope Book Club with Katrina Rowe and Natasha Moore. In this episode, we look at the latest fiction offering from the author of the super popular The Rosie Project series. Graeme Simpson wrote Two Steps Forward with his wife, Anne Buse. It's about walking the Camino from France to Spain. I've been reading The Lost Flowers of Alice Hart by Holly Ringland, a botanically themed Aussie novel about finding your voice after experiencing family and partner violence. And we'll dive deep into our literary inadequacies, confessing those books we feel we should have read but haven't. But first, we discuss Kate Bowler's New York Times best-selling exploration of her own mortality after being diagnosed with stage 4 colon cancer. Here's an excerpt from Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies I've Loved by Kate Bowler. One moment, I was a regular person with regular problems. And the next... I was someone with cancer. Before my mind could apprehend it, it was there, swelling to take up every space my imagination could touch. A new and unwanted reality. There was a before, and now there was an after. Time slowed to a pulse. Am I breathing? I wondered. Do I want to? Every day I prayed the same prayer. God, Save me, save me, save me. Oh God, remember my baby boy. Remember my son and my husband before you return me to ashes, before they walk this earth alone. I plead with a God of maybe, who may or may not let me collect more years. It is a God that I love, and a God that breaks my heart. Anyone who has lived in the aftermath of something like this knows that it signifies the arrival of three questions, so simple that they seem, in turn, too shallow and too deep. Why? God, are you here? What does this suffering mean? At first, those questions had enormous weight and urgency. I could hear him. I could almost make out an answer. But then it was drowned out by what I've now heard a thousand times. Everything happens for a reason, or God is writing a better story. Apparently God is also busy going around closing doors and opening windows. He can't get enough of that. That's Kate Bowler in Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies I've Loved. She's a Christian academic, a wife, and mum with stage four colon cancer. So... Natasha, this is a, a very personal book responding to her struggle with cancer, but she's also got an interesting background that I think informs this work. So who was Kate Bowler before she wrote this book? Yeah, I think this is, in a way, the thing that makes the book, and this might sound a bit bad, but not just another cancer memoir, mm. you know. Um, obviously, a lot of people get cancer. A lot of people write about it, um, and she writes better than most people do but also there's this extra element of the story for her because um, she's an academic she's at Duke Divinity School and for years she's been working on a movement called the prosperity gospel in America this kind of um, 
religious idea, this kind of strand in Christian thinking where people go, actually, God wants you to have every earthly blessing. He wants you to be rich. He wants you to be healthy. He wants you to have everything that your heart desires. And if you just have enough faith, then you'll get all that. And so she's been, you know, that's not her personal background. She's a Christian, but that's not kind of the sort of church that she worships at. Um, But she's been working on this from an academic perspective and written a book on it and so on. So she's spent a lot of time in these communities and listening to these sorts of messages. And then, of course, when she gets this terrible news that she has, you know, very advanced cancer and that she probably won't survive the year, she has to kind of square that with, you know, these communities that she's been part of and this message of like, well, if you had more faith, maybe like God would make it go away. Well, and- if you just hadn't, yeah, look, I've, I've faced that thinking with my brother who with cerebral palsy, you know, which I don't think is really something that people get healed from. I don't know of anyone being healed from it. And again, people constantly tell you, well, if you had enough faith yeah and one of the things this book is really about is all the super unhelpful things that people say when you're going through stuff um and you know that is an example if you just have more faith god would fix it um but also the title of the book that everything happens for a reason and you know she tells the story of um a neighbor coming by with a casserole or something and saying to her husband um you know everything happens for a reason and he says to her oh i'd love to hear it and she's like sorry and he goes i I'd love to hear the reason my wife is dying. And you kind of go, yeah, that one wasn't wasn't the best option. Yeah. So so what? how does her diagnosis affect her, I guess, thinking about ideas about life and that background, as you said, looking at that prosperity gospel idea? Mm. I mean, the thing about this book is that it's not simple. It's very honest. It's very raw. She's very funny and very sassy and sometimes over the top and, you know, but she's very honest about the ways that she, she, the person she wants to be going through this experience as opposed to the person she really is. Um, so she kind of wants to be this kind of like brave, loving, heroic <laughs> Um, cancer patient and um, but at times she's just really filled with rage and at times she's really frustrated and um, you know she kind of navigates that uh, really honestly which I think is a gift okay. to the reader and potentially to the people around her. Yeah and what does it kind of make you think about how we deal with misfortune a lot of the time as a society I guess and as a culture? Yeah, so she one of the things that she does a few months after her diagnosis and when she's going through all this treatment, um, and I should say that Kate Bowler is still alive. Um, she got into an experimental trial and um, her diagnosis was, I think, three or four years ago. Um, and she still has the cancer. It's incurable, but she's not terminal. Um, so, you know, she's kind of scan to scan and treatment to treatment. Um, so this is an ongoing thing that she continues to live with. But she wrote an article for the New York Times about, you know, the prosperity gospel and her experience of um, her cancer diagnosis and so on, um, which struck a chord, obviously, with a lot of people. She got, like, loads of mail, email, mm. um, particularly from people who wanted to tell her exactly why she had cancer or exactly what good could come from it. Or um, wow. And she... That's not what you'd expect, is no, it? No. Um, and I think she's just really insightful on actually what's helpful to say to people who are going through really difficult 
um, situations and what's not helpful. Um, and I think that's something we need help with, right? Because grief and loss and illness and just pain are things that are common in life. They're universal. Everyone goes through. Um, and we are pretty bad at like talking about it. When, well, we're, when we're going through it or if other people are going through it. And often that's a good we, life skill to have. Totally. And often we want to say things that uh, like take the pain away and those are things that try to minimise it and those things are usually the things that aren't helpful. Yeah, she talks about a, a doctor she knows, a good friend of hers who's a paediatric oncologist, so, you know, works with children who have cancer and that he came um, to see her soon after her diagnosis and just kind of sat down and said... I'm so sorry this is happening. This is so awful. Hmm. And that nobody had really said that, that everyone wanted to kind of say, oh, I read this research or at least this or, you know, um, don't worry, everything happens for a reason or God's going to heal you or whatever people wanted to say. And he really acknowledged this is really awful and kind of sat with that and that that's a really helpful thing to do with people. Yeah, totally. Um, well, you, d- you definitely do hear that everything happens for a reason mantra. And it's not just, I think, amongst religious circles, but I think it's everywhere. So is that something that I think that you'll be avoiding after reading this book now, Natasha? <laughs> yeah, definitely. I think because um, sometimes the temptation, right, because it's hard to know what to say to people who are going through such terrible things. Uh, and so the temptation is just to avoid them or just to avoid saying anything about it. And often we do say the wrong thing because it's hard to know what the right thing is. But she has some really helpful suggestions. Um, and I think also just because she's so um, – she's quite – sassy quite funny you know there's a point where she takes up cursing for lent takes up swearing for lent (laughs) you know like she's not a kind of holier than thou sort of person um and so i think yeah experiencing that sort of on the inside with her and then hearing her tips for like actually here's how you sit with someone in their pain instead of trying to fix it which is generally not very helpful um and she actually has uh she's started a podcast this year called everything happens so without the kind of for a reason yeah where she talks she interviews people who have kind of been through stuff or who have thought a lot about this sort of thing um and i've just started listening to that and that's quite i don't want to say fun but it is you know genuine and um helpful okay so who do you think would enjoy this book so like everyone Mm. i think everyone it's a really easy read and you know She puts a lot of herself in it, and so I think it's accessible for everybody. Okay. Thanks, Natasha. We've been talking about Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies I've Loved by Kate Bowler. So let's go on to our next book. The Rosie Project is one of the most beloved Australian novels of the last decade. It spawned a sequel, The Rosie Effect, and a third book, The Rosie Result, is being released next year. There's also a long-awaited movie in development, but in the meantime, Graham Simsian has released a novel with his wife, Anne Bust. It's called Two Steps Forward, and it's about two people independently walking the Camino from France to Spain. Now, firstly, before we talk about Two Steps Forward... Did you love The Rosie Project? Because I loved it, but a lot of my book club didn't. 
So you're kidding. Yeah, I truly. because you know the Rosie project is like a book that I recommend and give to lots of people, including people who are like, "Oh, I don't really read or I don't really read fiction." I don't know. I'm like the Rosie project. Start here, okay? <laughs> Everybody. I've like I've had one person, I think, over the last several years who said to me, "Oh, I didn't really like that book." Everyone else loves it. I they love it. it. I love it. I gave it to my mom. I've given it to lots of people, but for some reason, it's so fun. The ladies it's in my, such a joy. I know. The ladies in my book club didn't like it. Okay. So knowing that you love the Rosie Project, I'm guessing that you came into Two Steps Forward with rather high expectations. So did it live up to those? I did have high hopes. Um, I wish I could say that it was just as delightful as the Rosie Project. It kind of wasn't. I'm afraid. <laughs> Sorry <Yeah. laughs> to be the bearer of bad news. Um, feel free to read it. But I, yeah, there's something um, just light and joyful about the Rosie Project and the characters and the kind of absurd things that happen to them. It's very funny um, too. It the is. Rosie it's Project, hilarious. Yeah. I think this one is. It doesn't have that same touch. It's not that funny. It's not that joyous. Okay. So, uh, what's it about? Give us the premise. So it's about two uh, particular characters, um, Zoe and Martin, and, you know, the husband and wife team who wrote it, Graham and Anne, um, write alternating chapters from the perspective of Martin and Zoe, respectively. So Zoe is an American. Um, they're both middle-aged. Uh, they've both kind of been through – she's just lost her husband – he has been through a kind of bitter divorce and has not got a job and they both wind up in Cluny in France and they decide for various reasons to walk the Camino, uh, which is, you know, the Pilgrim's Trail uh, that goes to Santiago de Compostela in Spain. Um, and you can do various versions of that. And you probably know someone who's done it because it's very, I don't want to say trendy, like it's, you know, it's always been a popular thing to do and a very meaningful thing for a lot of people and beautiful walking and so on. Um, so they both decide to do this trail, coming at it from very different angles, very different personalities um, and their encounters with each other and their kind of growing, I guess, self-knowledge as well as knowledge of each other okay. as they go. So you mentioned this technique that, you know, one chapter from him, one chapter from her. Um did that did that work that technique for you? Yeah. I mean, yes, like I believed both characters' voices. Um but it did feel a little labored. Um and you know, it was good to have kind of their perspective of each other mm. having that back and forth. But, you know, yeah, I think the kind of Back and forth and back and forth. You got tired to you, did it? It did. It okay. did a bit. Yeah, because the other thing, I mean, if you think to the Rosie Project, what makes it really work is just the the delightfulness and the quirkiness of the character. You know, mm. like a book like um, Eleanor Oliphant, it's completely fine. You know, it's like the characters are kind of strange, but just nice enough to be sort of empathetic enough for you to care about those characters. So, does this book have interesting characters, or are they a bit? Um, no, I think they're much more normal, which, yeah. you know, I don't object to. Like, I find normal people interesting as well, uh, <laughs> yeah. depending. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I'm not sure they're as likable as the kind of oddballs, um, well, the oddball that you get in the Rosie Project, um, <laughs> yeah. Don, the narrator in that. So, you know, I kind of – I think I did appreciate that they're – 
development as characters was not kind of in a straight line, um, as the Two Steps Forward title would suggest, I guess. You know, two, two Steps, steps forward, forward, One Step one Back. Step back. Yeah. Um, and so it wasn't all as kind of predictable as you think it might be setting out and being like, oh, these two characters and they're going to fall in love and, yeah. you know, like... I'm not saying you're wrong, but <laughs> but it wasn't as kind of straightforward. There's some zigzagging and that kind of thing. Okay. But, you know, I, yeah, I don't think they're characters that stay with you in the same way as Don and All Rosie. Right. So could you recommend Two Steps Forward? I think the thing that I found most interesting about the book was some of the detail of actually walking the Camino um, and what that's like. So just kind of the the logistics of it, the daily, the ins and outs, where you stay, mm. how you decide how far to walk, how painful it is, um, you know, what you carry, what's worth carrying and not carrying. So I think if you're someone who's interested in that walk and that experience and maybe you're thinking of doing it yourself, um, then I think it would be worth giving it a read. Um, otherwise, yeah, not one of my favourites. Okay. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> I'm with Natasha Morf, and we've been talking about Two Steps Forward by Graeme Simpson. Well, Natasha, you don't... And Boost. <laughs> Feminist. <laughs> You're right, uh, <laughs> Natasha. Yes, by Graeme Simpson and Anne Boost. Sorry, I stand corrected. Um, all right, so this let's go into confession time here, Natasha. Okay, <laughs> yep. so yep. I know that we all have these kind of guilty... I guess associations, the books that we feel that we should have read but that we haven't and that we probably wouldn't want to put our hand up in public or in our book club or at our writing group and go, oh, I've never read that. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know know the one I'm talking about? Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, there's actually there's a great David Lodge novel um, where so he kind of writes comic novels about academics Mm -hmm. um, where the academics in the English department play this game called Humiliation where they have to name a book that they haven't read. And if everyone else has read it, then you get all those points for the number of people. Oh. So if you name something that's kind of obscure and you're like, oh, I've I've never read, you know, mm-hmm. Infinite Jest or something or, you know, Ulysses or um, something massive, then people go, oh, well, I've never read it either. And so you don't get any points, but you get your prestige. Okay. Whereas, And there's this one academic who decides to be very competitive about it um, and he wants to win. And so he confesses that he's never read Hamlet and everyone oh. else is very shocked because, you know, they're professors in an English department and everyone else has read Hamlet. Um, and so he wins the game, but then he doesn't get tenure. And it oh, becomes no. this kind of thing of, oh, it's probably because he's never read Hamlet. <laughs> they couldn't give him tenure. <laughs> so this is what I think of when I think of this. Yeah. The books and I don't you, want to admit. I have to say, I was quite horrified on the plane um, when I just went to the UK recently to see that they have these kind of cheat courses where you can like uh, talk they, about books you haven't yeah, read. Yes, like, it's like uh, they tell you all the details of the book, and so you can pretend you've read it. Oh, How bad is that? It's terrible, terrible. Anyway. We would never do that. No. <laughs> so, okay, I'll go first. Go on. Yep. The book that I have never read, which I can't believe I haven't read it, but I'm sure I haven't, is Oliver Twist by Charles Dickens. Because we at school we did um, all the Dickens, you know, well not all. But we did like a tale of two cities and great expectations and David Copperfield. We didn't do Oliver Twist. And I bought a copy literally probably 20 years ago and it sat on my shelf and I still haven't read it. See, Katrina, 
I just, I'm not sure it's that shameful. Partly because you're like, oh, I've read all these other Dickens, like these other longer, more difficult Dickens novels, and I studied them at school. I didn't study any Dickens at school. I just school read them as a kid, kid though. <laughs> no, it's not the same as reading it yourself. <laughs> See, this is that game of humiliation where you're like, <laughs> oh, supposedly this is shameful, but actually. No, it's That not. being said, I have no, read I mean, Oliver Twist. Because Oliver Twist <laughs> is the iconic one. We all know Fagin, we know Oliver Twist. I, I love Great Nancy. Expectations is the iconic one. You've read Great Expectations, uh, haven't you? I have, yes. Yeah. I, have. I actually read Great Expectations a few years ago because I felt so guilty about not having read it. So. Oh, it's, it's pretty great. Okay, I'm filling but, in know. my gaps. Well, what's your confession? Well, so I'm going to make more or less the same confession, except that this is more shameful for me because... My background is Victorian literature. So I have a PhD in Victorian literature and I've read hardly any Dickens. Um, I feel maybe I shouldn't confess this in public. But um, you might in lose particular, your tenure. <laughs> <laughs> lucky I'm out of that game. Um, but yeah, so you know, I have read Great Expectations and Oliver Twist and a couple of others, but I haven't read David Copperfield, which is the one that like Victorianists love. It's his favourite. Love. Yeah, it's, it's the his most own autobiographical. Favorite. He and loves David. I actually started to read it. But I was in um, I was in Illinois in the middle of summer doing kind of a research thing in a library there, and it was like thirty five degrees and like hundred percent humidity every day, and it was bright sunlight. And I started reading David Copperfield, and it was so grey, and I just kind of went, actually, it just doesn't fit where mm. I am. I can't. I can't. Read I don't need it. to be in this place so. <laughs> right now. <laughs> so I will get back to it at some point. All right. So time. over the summer, that can be our challenge to okay. read one. Dickens. One Dickens, okay. I'm read David Copperfield, okay. or A Tale of Two Cities. A Tale of Two Cities is no, great. I know. Oh, yeah, that's what they just, say. You've got to read I that one. You. Yeah. Mm. All right. So now it's time for my pick today. Yes. Um, so my pick is The Lost Flowers of Alice Hart by Holly Ringland. It's a botanically themed Australian <laughs> novel. So what I mean by that is that every chapter has a flower. And it's written in the tr- Victorian tradition of each flower having a specific meaning for your life. Um, so we start with Alice. The story starts with her as a child. Um, and that's one of the probably the things that I found more challenging about the book. It covers a very long time span. So it starts when she's a child and it, it sort of goes to, I think, mid-adulthood. Is it a very long book? Not super long, mm-hmm. no. But as she lives with a violent father and her mother on an isolated farm and uh, so basically it starts out with this domestic life and then her life is is lost forever basically when there's a fire and she loses her parents and beloved dog this is not a spoiler it's kind of all on the back blurb (laughs) and then she goes to live with the grandmother she never knew she had on a flower farm and here she meets these women called the flowers so other traumatized women have taken refuge there and together they grow these flowers it sounds sort of like an idyllic picture of women caring for each other but it's not as idyllic as it first (laughs) seems there are secrets and there is controlling behaviors and there's alcoholism and all sorts of other things going on under the surface. Um, yeah, the things that happen in those years on the flower farm will have long-term implications for her life. But again, uh, it does go on to bring back that theme of domestic and family violence and of her needing to find her voice. And she kind of uses the language of flowers as a way of finding her voice. Oh, yeah, I forgot to mention, in the very beginning after the fire, she, she doesn't speak for a long time. And so the flowers become her way of speaking. And it sounds like... 
you know, I'm vibing that maybe there's a parallel between like, you know, the whole kind of women as flowers and, you know, delicate or not and, you know, flourishing or not. Is that is that yes. kind of there's definitely yeah, themes of, of growth it? and well the ladies on the farm are literally called the flowers and they're all damaged you know they've all been hurt by life and they kind of look after each other but it's not as as I said, it's not an idyllic environment as it might first seem. So this has got um, themes of like not being in control of your destiny and not taking control of your life, um, coping with terrible things that happen and sort of regrowth after terrible things that happen, um, how people can be controlling, the way violence has such long-term flow and impacts on a person's life. Um, I have to say this book got a little bit uh, lost for me around the middle, but it came good at the end. And I just love the botanical themes and learning about the different flowers and the way that Alice kind of starts to take back a little bit of control of her life. So I think it's worth a read. Who should read it? I have to say it is definitely a book for women. And <laughs> if the book has a weakness, it's a real lack of good male characters. It, it, it features a lot of... Yeah, a lot of violent, angry and untrustworthy male characters. And if anything, I sort of felt the book was a bit too feminised um, for me. I would have liked to see more men <laughs> in the book and uh, and more sort of male uh, responses, I guess, to things. But um, definitely a book for women. And if you love plants and gardening or if you yourself are looking for some kind of rebirth or healing in your life it might be a good book for you to read what do you reckon natasha would you pick up a book like that i like the flower idea but otherwise mm, out of all the books in the world the big cure but mm, not that keen no, that's okay <laughs> <laughs> well i did really enjoy the australian setting as well all right thanks so much natasha it's been great hanging out with you always a pleasure uh, so in this episode of the Hope Book Club, we have been looking at Graeme Simsian and Anne Buse's new book, Two Steps Forward. I was reading The Lost Flowers of Alice Hart by Holly Ringland, and Natasha reviewed Kate Bowles' New York Times best-selling book, Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies I've Loved. Thanks for listening to the Hope Book Club, because life's just better with a book. Thanks for listening. Start your day with life words. Subscribe to Hope 1032's free daily email devotional at hope1032.com.au. Thanks for listening. Start your day with life words. Subscribe to Hope 1032's free daily email devotional at hope1032.com.au.